All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast, where I am joined by my ever trusty, ever notorious companion, Mr. Pizza Mind. Pete, what's going on, brother? Uh, to be honest, Bryce, I'm sick of the bullshit, so I'm glad that you're here with me today. This is my reprieve from everything else going on. Um, there's scams left and right. You know, you're believing in one thing and then the rug gets pulled out from you six months later or, you know, people that had never even violated a law are getting arrested. And show me on the show me on the chart where Mr. Market touched you. (laughs) uh, It touched me on, you know, so many levels raising my my net worth. And then (laughs) I wake up a day later and it's all gone. and I've got all these bills. Bryce, can you at least bring someone on the show that we can trust? Yes, yes, I can. Absolutely. We are joined today by Raphael Cosman who is the founder, co-founder, and CEO of Trust Token, who is also the development firm behind TruFi, uh, as well as the TrueUSD billion-dollar stablecoin. Uh, so, Raphael, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Thank you very much, Bryce and Peace. It's great to be on. And I should clarify, you know, when we say TrueUSD is a billion-dollar stablecoin, it means there's a billion of it in circulation. It doesn't mean one TrueUSD is worth a billion dollars. <laughs> what? Oh, man. Hold on. I got to adjust my position. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Raphael, well, we're, we're excited to have you. And it's funny, you know, I, I, I've known about Trust Token for a long time. I was at a conference in Japan back in 2018, early, maybe mid-2018, um, and I remember seeing Trust Token there, and I thought it was pretty impressive. And that was when you guys were first starting to launch um, a lot of your initiatives and announcing things. But a, a lot has 
kind of you know come out of that right it's you've gone a long way right now we're you know 2021 we're recording this it's august 3rd but before we dive into all the leaps and bounds that trust token has accomplished i'd like to get acquainted here Raphael. you've met pizza mine before in person you guys have spent time together at a conference but i've never met you and a lot of crypto 101 has never met you so so what's your background and how did you find yourself building in the crypto space Good question. Um, so my background is mostly on the tech side. Um, I grew up in San Diego, which I know is where you're based, Bryce. A beautiful place. Love it. Um, went uh, to Stanford to study computer science and then uh, worked for a little while at Google before uh, leaving and starting this company. And, um, you know, our first major foray into crypto was with the launch of TrueUSD. Um, our USD stablecoin. Um, and since then, you know, the, the reason that we decided to do that is we just saw a very big opportunity sitting there with Tether, you know, growing massively and demonstrating the the size of the market for USD stablecoins, but, you know, with a very poor reputation that they had at the time and still to a certain extent have today. Um, so launched for USD, um, that market, you know, has since become a lot more competitive with USDC, Paxos, BUSD, et cetera. Um, we've got a handful of other uh, fiat-backed stablecoins that we launched since then, true British pound, Hong Kong dollar, Canadian dollar, and Australian dollar. Um, and then most recently, last year, we launched TrueFi, which is our DeFi platform for uncollateralized lending. And I hope we'll get to talk about that today. Um, but overall, I think it's just, you know, it's a very interesting and fast moving space. And um, personally, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, we're on the verge of a sea change in how finance works globally. And that's really exciting to see. I definitely want to jump into TrueFi and get the whole deep dive. But before we do, I want to talk about the, the stablecoin suite that you guys have built. Because you did come in around the same time USDC was coming. I don't know which one was first. But what benefit is there to creating all these stable coins? Like it makes total sense like why a developer would want to issue a non-stable coin. Because then they can run up the market. They build you know, MVP. They get a bunch of money. They, they become millionaires overnight. But doing a stable coin, you know, everything has to be backed. You probably don't even have like a developer share or anything like that, that doesn't exist in stable coins. What benefit is there to you and your team to have stable coins? Yeah, so that's it's a good question, Aaron. You know, the way that these USD stable coins like TrueUSD, USDC, and so on work, it's pretty straightforward. And TrueUSD was actually the first um, USD stable coin to come along after Tether. You know, USDC and a couple of the other folks, you know, we think they actually learned a lot from our model um, we're, you know, we're happy to see that market become more competitive and have other strong offerings. Um, but you know, the model that we really pioneered is a pretty straightforward one. It's basically, you know, anyone in the world can send in, let's say, a ten thousand dollar wire. You know, once they make an account or website, they send in a wire, and then we will mint for them ten thousand new TrueUSD, right? That's backed by those dollars. And then at any point, they can send in the TrueUSD, and we send them a wire. So it's one for one back. That money is just held at our banking partners. So it's very secure. Um, and uh, that's, that's really the simplest design for how a stable coin can be built. There's a lot of things that are, you know, there's a lot of fancier things that are algorithmic stable coins and things that are backed by crypto assets like DAI. 
but this is a really straightforward approach. It's tried and true. Um, it, it's, it's just completely dominates the market when it comes to stable coins today. Um, and that's because ultimately, you know, it gives traders what they want, which is something that you can actually offer it to US dollars anytime you want. And you can on-ramp your money the other way anytime you want. I got a big question for you. And I don't yeah. know if I should, should start here. In fact, I'm not going to start here. I'm going to hold off. So everybody has a little bit of tension as they know a big question is looming. Uh, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm going to start with DeFi 101. Catch yeah. it, get us up to speed. A lot of people... Uh, are, are here in this buzzword, de decentralized finance, DeFi. What is DeFi to you? Good question. Yeah, so, and, and DeFi is really, DeFi is a very important part of what we do. And I think a very important part of crypto. And, you know, um, stable coins are very foundational for it. You know, you, you almost can't have DeFi without stable coins, or at least it becomes a lot less useful. So, so what DeFi is, you know, sort of decentralized finance. It's basically taking a lot of the things that financial institutions do today and doing them in smart contracts on the blockchain. And that is a pretty simple idea, but it has a lot of benefits for users because you get a lot more transparency, you get interoperability, you get you know, little pieces of software that can plug together to make more complex systems. So I'll give you an example. Um, compound, compound.finance is one of the most famous DeFi projects in the world, and it is a collateralized lending platform. So anyone can interact with a smart contract. You can give the smart contract a dollar and fifty cents of ether, and then you could borrow a dollar of stablecoin, or you could give a dollar fifty cents of stablecoin, and you could borrow a dollar of ether. So it's basically willing to make a loan to anyone in the entire world as long as you put up enough collateral to cover the value of that loan. And you, of course, have to pay interest to the smart contract in exchange for getting that loan. And, you know, people who just want to earn money on their crypto, you know, you could just take 100 bucks of stable coins, put it in the compound smart contract, and you could just start earning interest immediately. Right then, 24-7, it'll be streaming into your account. And that is the power of decentralized finance. You know, it's, this is a piece of code that anyone can interact with. Anyone can read it. Every time a single penny moves in or out of that smart contract, you can immediately see that on the blockchain. And if you compare that to how traditional banks or traditional finance works, you know, I bank with Wells Fargo, for example, right? Now, Wells Fargo, they're a just fine bank. I don't mean to malign them, but just like almost all other banks in the US today, you know, I put my money with them. I earn almost nothing on it, like a fraction of 1%. You know, I have no idea what they're doing with my money. They're loaning it out to who knows what, and they're probably making a bunch of money. They're just not giving that money to me, right? So, so someone's making money. It's just not me, the person who actually deposited the money. There's no transparency, and it doesn't end up being a great experience for users. Whereas something like Compound, you know, you can access it 24-7. You're making a great rate. You can put your money in and out 24-7. You know, the bank, the Compound never closes. You never have to worry about, uh, you know, not being able to access your funds. So it's just a much, much better experience. And that is really the core of what DeFi is doing, is taking these traditional financial services and products and offering them in a much better way. So if we think of a bank as like their core function is to take money from a depositor and to basically supply that to a borrower. And you know, they they charge the borrower maybe you know on a mortgage three and a half percent. 
if it's a, you know, a, a long-term bet, right. Three and a half percent. If it's like really short-term a credit card, maybe they're going to charge like 20% or something. Right. And, yeah. but they're always going to give your depositor, um, you know, a really, really, really low interest rate, maybe like, you know, 0.5, you know, 0.5%, or if you really lock it up for a long time, maybe like, you know, 1% or something, but you're not going to get much more than that. But then you're like, wait, what's, there's a huge spread. So where's that money go to? That money goes to, you know, infrastructure, like physical infrastructure, maintaining these buildings. It goes to like back office BS, like, you know, coordinating the books, like cash, like takes a lot of, you know, processing and all this sort of, you know, meat space, quote unquote, um, fluff. And, you know, and then at the end of the day, you know, banks are fiduciaries to their shareholders. And so they're going to sh- go off to dividends. And the, all this stuff goes to show that ain't nobody going to be getting high interest rates uh, as a saver, right? That that game is done. And then incomes compound in, in decentralized finance, where they say, hey, we're going to take the same thing as a bank, except we're not going to have any bankers. We're not going to have any, you know, expensive ATMs to maintain. And we're not going to have shareholders even uh, that need dividends. And, and, and so there's this entire paradigm shift. But then people are like, wait, and here's my question for you. Where does the interest come from? How does compound do it? How can they give uh, you know, somebody at, you know, a 2% interest rate. And is there somebody on the other side who wants to borrow that? Who's going to pay? And, and is compound just facilitating the same exact role as a bank? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Bryce. So, um, so compound is doing something that is similar to what banks are doing today. And, you know, they're, there are lots of folks that want to borrow from Compound, just like how there's lots of folks that want to borrow from a bank and are happy to pay two, three, four, sometimes five or even ten percent, depending on you know the loan, um, how large it is, what the terms are, whether it's collateralized, and so on. Um, so you know the banks are doing all these sorts of things. You just don't have any visibility into it, and you know you're only getting a tiny, tiny piece of that interest as a lender, and so it becomes a lot less favorable for, for you as a user. It's, it can be plenty favorable for the bank and for the shareholders. Those folks might be making plenty of money, but in terms of where do you as a consumer actually want to put your savings, it's not nearly so favorable. And a lot of that does come from fundamental inefficiencies in the way that the traditional finance system works. So for example, you know, if you've ever tried to send a bank wire, right? That seems like it should be one of the most fundamental, one of the most optimized primitives of how finance should work, right? Just being able to send money from one person to another, right? There should be nothing simpler than that. But, you know, if you wanted to send me some money, well, if it's, you know, 6 p.m. and banks are closed or if it's a Saturday or Sunday, well, good luck. You're going to have to wait until the next day. And, you know, sometimes these things, and why why is that the case? Well, that's the case because there's, there have to be actual humans who are sitting in the bank who are you know, pushing buttons on a keyboard to be able to make that money move. Where in this day and age, the idea of a system like that, you know, only working nine to five, you know, during business hours, that's really crazy. Like imagine if Google search only worked nine to five or if Facebook only worked nine to five, right? And people would be rioting. But this this extremely fundamental building block of how finance works, you know, the simplest possible thing, just being able to send money from one person to another, you know, doesn't even have these very basic uh, uptime characteristics that we would want. And so it's, it's, it's those kinds of fundamental inefficiencies that I think you're going to have to correct 
to be able to build a financial stack that operates more seamlessly and ultimately delivers a better experience to users. I can't wait for this to take over the world because I actually have a large transaction I'm trying I'm trying to do right now. I called up my bank and I said, hey, I need you to give me a one-time exemption on my debit card. The cash is in there. I just need to make a purchase. And they said, no, we can only give you half of what you're requesting. Oh, okay, great. That's useless. Well, then I need to send a wire. But I just so happen to be in a different state right now. I still bank in San Diego. So they emailed me a form that I have to manually print out, write by hand, and get notarized and snail mail back to them. (laughs) For the piece of that's your social wire transaction. No, I'm not kidding. Here's the actual <laughs> sheet right here. I'm holding it up on video that I need to fill out later today and mail. I haven't wow. filled anything out yet. So it's ridiculous. Now, we've yeah. talked a lot about Compound and, you know, full disclosure, Bryce and I are long as hell on it. But let's talk about TrueFi and what makes that different from Compound. Raphael, what in the world did you build and how is it different? Yeah, so what we built and what we launched in November of last year is a DeFi protocol called TrueFi. And TrueFi focuses on uncollateralized lending, whereas Compound, Aave, and MakerDAO, who are three major, major players in the DeFi space, all focus on over-collateralized lending. You know, you give them a dollar fifty cents of Ether and then they'll loan you a dollar of stablecoin. TrueFi is able to make loans without any collateral. You know, so, so credible borrowers can come to TrueFi and just say, hey, I'd like to take out a million dollar loan of stable coins without putting up any collateral and TrueFi can make that loan. Now, part of how this works is that, you know, Compound, Aave, and Maker, and many other platforms that do over collateralized lending, they don't do any credit scoring. So they're willing to lend to anyone because they've got that collateral. TrueFi, does actual credit scoring. And so we put actual credit scores for our borrowers on the blockchain. And that credit score determines how much you could borrow. So Bryce, I know you actually, you run a hedge fund in crypto, right? And so if your fund, for example, wanted to borrow some capital, you could go to TrueFi, go through our credit scoring process. You would get a credit score, which is actually put on the blockchain and it can be used both by TrueFi, but also by other protocols in the future as well. Like you know, even protocols like Aave and Compound, they could potentially give you better rates wow. um, depending on your credit score. Um, so you'll get a credit score on the blockchain. This is, this is, we believe, the first true credit score that's on the blockchain. And the protocol has already done, I think it's something like $250 million of um, loans originated based on, you know, this credit scoring process. This is the real deal. Um, and then, you know, your hedge fund to take a loan, you use that capital for trading, for farming, for um, you know, the, the operations of your fund. And then, you know, let's say 60 days later, 90 days later, when your loan is up, you actually repay that capital with interest. And then all of the lenders in the protocol, you know, they've gotten their principal pullback and they've gotten some interest. And that's basically how the protocol works. So we see it as, you know, one more important building block for the whole stack of DeFi to come together. You know, there's protocols that do exchange, there's protocols that do over-collateralized lending, our protocol does uncollateralized lending, and you need all these pieces. And what you end up with is something that can really provide all the different sorts of financial services that people want. So we're adding one more piece there that we think helps the whole ecosystem to grow. Wow.
Let me tell you about an investment opportunity that has nothing to do with crypto. And, and yes, this is a crypto show, but even I know the importance of diversifying. So there's one asset class that you've probably never considered. You know, it's been a favorite of billionaires from Rockefeller to Bezos. And thanks to a recently enacted law, everyday investors can finally have access to it. And I'm talking about masterpiece paintings. Uh, from household names like Banksy and Warhol. I mean, these works consistently sell for tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. But one startup came up with a giant solution. So what if you took something that used to only be available for a select few and you made it available to everyone? And you don't have to be a hedge fund guru to see the opportunity here. They let you invest in a fraction of multi-million dollar works instead of needing to buy the whole thing. So now you can invest in one of the top performing alternative assets in history without breaking the bank. And the best part, we've partnered with Masterworks to let you skip their crazy long wait list. So just head to our exclusive link at masterworks.io slash crypto 101. So that's masterworks.io slash crypto 101 in order to learn how to diversify into blue chip art today. And guys, it's really important that you see some important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And that is also in the show notes. So be sure you check out that disclaimer before popping over there. So, so this was kind of going to be the big question that I, that I kind of set up earlier. And I realized we had a lot of legwork to do. But now I'm going to get to the question, which is, you know, secured lending versus unsecured lending, um, or, yeah. you know, collateralized versus uncollateralized. Walk us through some of the pros and cons that you think about uh, and, and kind of what what shaped your decision to go this uncollateralized route? Good question. So, you know, both are huge markets and there is demand on the lending and borrowing side for both. Now, there's no question that uncollateralized lending can be higher risk. Neither. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply is really a perfect system. You know, every investment, every loan is always going to have risk. And if you take collateral, but you're lending to people that may not be credit worthy, then they could default on those loans. But at the same time, your collateral might crash in value. We all know Ether, Bitcoin, or these assets could lose 20%, 40%, 60% of their value in a very short period of time during a flash crash. Now, I'm, I personally am bullish on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and many of these other crypto assets over the long term. But in the short term, you know, we all know you can go through some very serious crashes. And so um, you have to be careful when you're holding them as collateral, uh, that you are able to liquidate them at an appropriate time, et cetera. Now, if you don't take collateral, then you're absolutely just relying on the, cre- on the credit worthiness of the borrower. And so you know, our problem works with many of the most legitimate funds um, in crypto. So Alameda Research, if you're familiar with them, they are a billion dollar plus uh, trading firm, very, very strong reputation in the space. Uh, Wintermute, Bastion, Falkvang, Nibio, and some very, very- These are all household names to me, for sure. Right. So these are some of the best folks in the biz. And, and, you know, with TrueFi, um, not only do we have, you know, a legally binding uh, contract with them, uh, that to, to make sure that you know that if they do default on a loan, you know that can actually be enforceable in court. Um, but also, you know, if they, if any of these these firms do default, it'll affect their uh, their reputation publicly and their credit score on the blockchain. So that would you know potentially reduce or eliminate their ability to borrow from TrueFi and in the future from other protocols that are consuming this kind of on-chain credit score. And we do think that more and more data is is going to be on-chain and more credit scoring is going to be happening on chain because we literally have hundreds of millions of dollars now of uh, loans originated and repaid on the blockchain, trustedly verifiable for everyone to see. So that's a really, really powerful data set that anyone can consume and anyone can loan against. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, you know, both uncollateralized like TrueFi definitely has some risks, collateralized lending like Compound has a different set of risks, but you know, uncollateralized has a lot more reward because people are willing to pay a much higher rate for an uncollateralized loan than a collateralized loan where they have to put up, you know, 150% collateral in Ether. So just to give you a sense, the rate today, including farming on TrueFi, is actually 15% for USDC, if we just want to do a head-to-head comparison. And the rate, including farming on Compound, is 2%. Mm. So... That's a 13% difference, a very, very significant difference. Um, and, you know, on Tether, TrueFi is currently paying 23 
Compound's currently paying 2.95. So these are very, very significant differences. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. Including farming compound, I think is 3.3 on USDC. So, so when there, when when I think people see higher yields, for instance, on a bond, you know, someone's like, oh, there's a higher yield because it's a junk bond, and you know, it could default and, and that sort of thing. And so, in unsecured lending, we we acknowledge that there's higher risks. But what I think I'm hearing and confirm is that the borrowers are already, you know, they've got great credit scores. They're high quality, proven borrowers. But I guess my question is then, how does that scale? Yeah, good question. So these are very legit borrowers. And right now we're lending just to crypto trading firms and a small number of exchanges with strong reputations in the space. But we, we want to expand that into significant other segments, including places in TradFi. So we're actually right now assessing, you know, opening up lending pools that focus on uh, venture debt or growth debt for uh, technology companies, you know, all kinds of different investment opportunities that we see as being somewhat underserved in traditional finance and could be very valuable if we bring them into decentralized finance and open them up to a much larger audience, right? Like, just think about what we're doing today we have someone like Alameda on the platform, right? Alameda is a household name in crypto, you know, uh, unbelievably successful and profitable trading firm. You know, people would love to be able to deploy capital with them. But today, you know, if you're a billionaire and you want to write Alameda a hundred million dollar check, you know, and give them a loan or give them an investment, you know, yes, that's probably fine. But, you know, if you are a smaller fish and you want to, you want to give them a thousand dollars or $10,000, they probably can't give you the time of day, right? They just, they just don't have the time to be able to take those kinds of small investments. So at, a, at the core, a lot of what we are doing is taking investment opportunities that were formerly only available to a very, very limited set of folks, right? You know, people, high net worth individuals that can write a million dollar, multi-million dollar check are comfortable with being locked up potentially for months or years. Taking that and opening it up and saying, hey, we, we now have a lending pool in DeFi you can put in, you know, a million dollars or you can put in one cent of stable coin and you're getting the same excellent rate and your, your capital is being deployed across a diversified set of these extremely high quality hedge funds. And so, yes, there is definitely some risk. And, you know, one of those could default and the protocol can definitely, you know, lose some money that way. But you are investing in very, very good firms and you are spread out across many of them. So we think overall it presents a very, very attractive financial opportunity. So there's a lot of other platforms that you can lend your USDC or true USD on and earn a pretty nice yield in return. And what's essentially happening on the back end is the same thing that's happening on TrueFi, but there's some kind of centralized entity building the relationships with these exchanges and hedge funds who are borrowing from them, paying them, you know, 10, 11, 12%, and then they're giving, you know, eight or 9% back to the people that are providing the funds, which is still pretty good. But what TrueFi has done, and correct me if I'm wrong, is basically decentralized that, created a governance token that manages the whole platform. The people involved in governance get to vote on which firms get approved or rejected. And then the average consumer can supply their funds, whether it is $100 or $1,000, to these large institutions and earn a yield on it with a potentially a, a larger cut than some of the, the CFI stuff. That's exactly right. And so that 
really embodies the difference between centralized and decentralized finance is that you know TrueFi is a protocol on the blockchain. It's a smart contract. So my company does not make a single cent when we make when the protocol makes a loan to Alameda, right? You know, all of those funds, all the profit from that loan goes, 90% of it goes back to the lenders who've ultimately provided the stablecoin in the lending pool, and 10% of it goes to the holders of the governance token. And part of what we're doing is taking the governance token and we put it directly in the hands of every single user of the platform. So the moment you start providing liquidity on the protocol as a lender, you put your stablecoin in TrueFi, you, you can enter one of the farms, you get and you get both the rate that you're getting from the normal lending, but you're also getting an, an extra boosted rate that's paid out directly in the uh, governance token of the platform, which is called True, T-R-U. And you know, this is a model that's used across all of DeFi, and, and we think it's phenomenally powerful. I think a good analogy is like, you know, when PayPal was growing, they just gave every user $10 to open a, up a PayPal account, right? And they are, they're just paying for growth. And similarly, a lot of DeFi protocols, including ours, are to a certain extent just paying for growth. But what makes it even better than conventional methods of growth marketing is that we are putting the actual governance token in people's hands, which means that yes, you could just sell that for cash tomorrow, but as you said, Aaron, you could hold on to that. And then as the protocol grows, you know, everyone wins and you win right? That token goes up, you're earning a fraction of all the fees. And so we're taking the ownership of the protocol and putting it directly in the hands of the users rather, rather than saying, okay, our company is going to get a cut of the profits or our company is going to retain control of this. And it's so critical that you guys don't retain control of this for regulatory reasons. There's so much shit flying around in the world of stable coins and DeFi and Uniswap is delisting pairs out of fear that someone might come after them. But yeah. if you're truly decentralized the way TrueFi is, you don't have anything to worry about. There's no phone number to call. There's no CEO to subpoena. There's nothing because it's in the hands of thousands and thousands of people. Um, and it's really important. That's We've seen, uh, you know, competitors like BlockFi get, you know, cease and desist orders from several U.S. states because they're give, they're generously providing interest off of stablecoin lending. And it's, it's very ridiculous. And there's all kinds of, you know, people who are being paid off, I suspect, to hamper the growth of this industry because the incumbent banking system is useless and they failed to adopt any of this technology that's been really around since 2015-16. They rejected it. They called it scams and now they're, they're going out of business and they don't like it. So it's fortunate to see TrueFi being built for the long time the way it was. So I think this is something that even if you're not a huge whale, you should still pay attention to and find a way to participate in this platform. In my opinion, it's one of the best hidden gems on the market today. I appreciate that. Now, Aaron, you know, I'd say that I think I think the smartest banks are taking advantage of this. You know, they're they're figuring out how to benefit from crypto rather than be disrupted by it. You know, so we see Silvergate, Signature, Prime Trust, um, major names in the crypto banking world. And I think that banks are going to have a role to play in crypto because um, at, at the very least, for example, you know, think about fiat stable coins, right? You know, that those stable coins have to be backed by money held in a bank somewhere. And ultimately you need to have that on-ramp off-ramp to crypto. 
which is most of the time going to involve a bank. But I, I completely agree with you. I think a lot of banks, the vast majority, have not realized the importance of decentralized finance and this technology. And I think stand uh, to, to lose a lot if they don't quickly wise up and start figuring out how to, how to be a part of it. So, uh, Raphael, outside of uh, kind of the things that you're working on in DeFi, uh, what else like has grabbed your attention recently? Are you a, uh, a big fan of the NFTs? Are you maybe um, you know, interested in some of the upgrades that are going on in, in the Bitcoin network with Taproot and Lightning? Is there anything else that's grabbing your attention these days? Good question. You know, I'm I'm mostly in the DeFi world. Um, I'm I found I find the NFT thing interesting, but I'm I'm very much on the sidelines there. Um, you know, I my brother actually uh, bought an NFT for an ETH or two recently, <laughs> and they kind of dabble in it, but um, and not something that I've, I've gotten that into. Uh, you know, personally, I've you know my portfolio I hold a whole bunch of different DeFi tokens, including Compound, Aave. Uniswap, SushiSwap, um, and I think that you know, the whole sector of DeFi is extremely promising, but I don't think it's the only thing in crypto worth looking at. And I think you know the same fundamental technology, the kind of transparency and security that crypto can provide, I think is going to be disruptive in many different industries and not just finance. Yeah, I think like, you know, my, my question is, for every person out there who's kind of like scared about inflation and scared about what's going on in the world, how do you think that they can protect themselves? And it doesn't even have to be like crypto centric. It could be like advice that's, you know, like out, you know, you know, about wages or about real estate or anything. But as you're kind of thinking about your own portfolio and, and lifestyle, how do you kind of hedge against, you know, what, what's going on in the world? Wow, that's, that's another big question right there. Bryce, I would say, um, first of all, I think that fears of inflation are quite well-founded. You know, Ray Dalio, who is um, the founder of Bridgewater, one of the largest, uh, one of the largest uh, hedge funds in the world, he recently said, cash is trash. And by that, he means the interest rate that's available on the US dollar and on treasury bonds and so on, is so low that when you take into account inflation, it's actually negative. You're getting a negative real yield on your US dollars. And so what that means is that it, it would be highly advisable to diversify out of US dollar assets, unless you are, for, you know, for example, doing DeFi farming where you're earning such a great rate on your US dollars, you know, it's way better than you know, what treasury bonds or banks and so on are offering, you know, in which case that rate can, can you know, be much larger than inflation. But if, you know, if you're in most US dollar cash assets, um, that is definitely concerning. And it would make sense to diversify, you know, um, hold some stocks, hold some crypto. Um, and in fact, being right now being short cash is a good idea. So, you know, you could consider taking, uh, you know, a new mortgage on your house, um, you know, taking out a loan of some sort, because in general, if, if the U.S. dollar is undergoing inflation, which it is right now, then owing U.S. dollars is a pretty good deal because that debt is going to actually, in some sense, become smaller over time as the U.S. dollar becomes less valuable. I don't think in the short term the U.S. dollar is going to massively crash, but I do think that in the sufficiently long term, one should assume 
that most currencies will eventually go away and be replaced by new currencies. Because historically, just think about, you know, if you held Roman coinage 2000 years ago, how much is that worth today, right? There's, you know, over the over a sufficiently long period of time, the world does undergo very massive shifts in how things are organized. And so one does need to be prepared for those. And with technologies such as crypto, AI, and many others, you could expect those kinds of world shifts to be accelerating. So this could be a time when you want to be particularly thoughtful about having diverse assets, you know, and having assets like Bitcoin that are really well hedged against those kinds of global changes. Yeah, very, very well said. And if I'm looking at the TrueFi platform right now, I know these rates change. I'm not sure how often you could tell me, maybe. The TUSD pool is giving 18.28% annual return. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. Not bad. That's definitely going to outpace inflation, at least for a little while. (laughs) Not a a bad option. I mean, Uh, we have 18% inflation on the U.S. dollar. That you know, per year, that's a very serious concern. We're, we're yeah. gonna be we're gonna be a banana republic if if eighteen percent happens. Well, yeah. We've had thirteen and a half percent before in my lifetime here in really? the U.S. So what, yeah, what year was that? That was in the eighties. Wow, that was in the eighties when you were at thirteen and a half percent. Yeah, so really bad. But uh, to your point, as far as you know, currencies coming and going, the average lifespan of a fiat currency is only twenty-seven years. Wow. Really, that's it. Only 27 years. Ridiculous. Since the beginning of fiat currencies? That's right. So the US dollar is the second oldest one behind the British pound. But other than those two, I mean, other than like gold and silver, like nothing has withstood the test of time. Well, gold and silver are fiat currencies because fiat means decree and it means a promise. And so it's a sovereign sort of uh, statement that we're going to be good for the debt that's backing up this issue and this paper money. But now the US dollar is not backed by anything. You know, I talked with... uh, a very close uh, well, family a lot member. Of debt. <laughs> well, <laughs> I talked to a very force. close family member who uh, helps manage a lot of pensions. Yeah, and she's in her 80s already, uh, still working, you know, 60, 80 hours a week, just just busting her ass, wow. trying to help the every man out. And I was, she's trying to figure out crypto and Bitcoin. So she called me up, and she can't wrap her head around it. And I'm trying to walk her through it and everything. And I'm explaining how. The dollar's not backed by gold anymore. And she says, what do you mean the dollar's not backed by gold anymore? And I said, oh, fuck. Well, remember Richard Nixon? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's when it stopped being backed by gold. Yeah. And there was a, there was a lot of reasons for doing that back then. Um, but yeah, there's been no gold backing the U.S. dollar ever since. It's backed by bullets and policy at this point. Was she shook? And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as is everyone when they find that out, you know. I'm a fairly intelligent individual, not saying she isn't. She's actually one of my heroes. But I didn't know most of my life that the dollar wasn't backed by gold anymore. I didn't find that out until I got into crypto. <laughs> and someone pointed that out. I mean, you would think they would teach this thing in school or something. They do. Like there'd be like a news bulletin. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get it. This was econ. This was econ one for me, baby. Econ one, DeFi 101, uh, uncollateralized lending. Definitely. <laughs> We hit maybe crypto 102 today, with some yeah. more advanced topics, but I think we've all had a really good time. So yeah. Raphael, thank you so much for sharing all this insights with us. Before we let you go, just a couple more questions for you. Uh, really. Who are some of your space that you really look up to, uh, people that inspire you to do what you do here? 
Good question. In the space, outside of the space, or both? Both. Just in general, while we're trying to build trust, you know, who are some other trusted sources that you rely on? You know, for me, honestly, one of my uh, top folks I respect in this industry is Ari Paul. Do you know him? Yes, we do actually quite well. He's he is the uh, CIO at Block Tower Capital, one of the best respected funds in the space. And you know, he there's two things that I particularly respect about Ari that I would really like to learn to embody more myself. You know, one is that he sees the really big picture in ways that many other people miss. You know, there's this space, there's there's such a temptation to focus on the short term, you know, people looking for quick profits and so on. But, you know, both from a profits perspective and from an impacting the world perspective, it's so much more powerful. If you can let go of the day-to-day a little bit, zoom out and look at the kinds of changes that, you know, we're, we're talking about just now on this call, you know, the sweeping trends that really shape an industry and ultimately are going to change all of finance. He, he gets that and articulates that so well in his writing, in his Twitter. And the other thing is that Ari has impeccable character. And I think we all know that in this industry in particular, people with really solid character that you can trust, who you know do the right thing, not necessarily the thing that's just going to make them the most bucks tomorrow, that is priceless over the long term. Like a friend of mine, Adam uh, Morgan Stanley, says, that it was called, I think it's Goldman Sachs. They they call it long-term greedy. Like uh the you know, the greedy thing to do, the selfish thing to do over the long term is actually to do the right thing, because that will pay dividends for you, you know, decades and decades down the road, as opposed to what might be easy or convenient today. I love it. It's uh having a, you know, kind of that low time preference uh that Saifedean Amos talks about of just, you know, kind of preferring uh to delayed gratification and knowing that in the long term that's what's going to be best. I mean, think about everything. There, there's a great line. I, I forget what what song it is, but everything that kills me makes me feel lively. Yeah. I've been I've been chasing sin. So that song which is like, you know, everything in the short term right, that you do to gratify yourself generally hinders your ability to live a long and prosperous life. So delay gratification as long as you can. I think that's a great note to end on. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's well said. Awesome. Raphael, man, uh, well, we appreciate it. We're going to be having you back on the show uh, when you guys have some updates. Uh, and until next time, take care. Thank you very much, Bryce, Aaron, Pizza Man. It's been great. I'll see you guys next time. Yeah, you bet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.